Well, it is the first Sunday of Lent, and Ash Wednesday was kind of a, a strange experience, wasn't it? Because it was the, the experience of Valentine's Day, right, in the secular world, and then Ash Wednesday in the sacred world, right? And, and we are, this is the first Sunday in a new series that we're calling Words uh, from the Cross. So for the next six Sundays, really, we're going to be uh, talking about the seven times that Jesus speaks from the cross. We're going to do two of them on Passion Sunday uh, before we get into Easter. And that's the 40 days uh, that represent the time that Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted, he endures the temptation of Satan, and he begins to prepare for his ministry. He's getting ready for his ministry. Lent is for us supposed to be this time of repentance, this time of deep reflection, this time of where we put ourselves under the microscope of the Christian experience. In the early church, this was the time that, that new converts were being prepared for baptism, and then they were baptized on Easter. So truly, we believe that we are a resurrection people. Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but this was a very powerful moment in the life of the church when early converts would then be, they would die to themselves and be raised up new creations in Christ on the Sunday that we celebrated Christ's resurrection, right? And today, we, we focus more now in this time of, time of worship on our relationship with God. Sometimes that means denying ourselves of some sort of something. Or in recent terms, times, it means adding something. Like, I'm going to add something that's really useful to me, to my experience. Some of you may be in that time of Lent. I, I work in Bardstown, which is a heavily Catholic community, which means on Friday we had fish sticks. Right? And everybody was talking about what they gave up for Lent. And I was like, ah, I'm Methodist. I'm giving up nothing. I'm not giving anything up for Lent. I'm adding some things to Lent. And over the course of this Lenten season, we are going to be looking at these statements uh, that Jesus makes from the cross. And there are a couple things that we should probably get out of the way. Is In the Western Christian experience, we often look at the crucifixion of Jesus, that Jesus was crucified tens of feet in the air. right? And the reality is, he was probably crucified right about here. So when you, when you were walking down Golgotha, when you were standing on the place of the skull, you could reach out and touch his feet. But the crucifixion is the most horrific way that somebody could be put to death. And it was reserved for a very special type of criminal. And I want, to rem I want us to constantly keep that in our, in our hearts. Constantly keep that in our, in our minds. Because the crucifixion, the death that Christ died for us was reserved for the absolute worst of the worst. The absolute worst of the worst. Traitors to the Roman state. And so the way that crucifixion worked is Jesus would have been nailed to the cross and his feet would have been vertical. And he would have been at about 45 degrees, so his legs would have been bent. And then there's some kind of speculation about whether or not they nailed him through the palms or through the, the wrist, because some people say that the palms couldn't actually support the weight of the human body. Some scientists have found that that is, that is true, that they can support the weight of the human body. So essentially, he would have been nailed like this, and he would have been left to sit in the sun. And Jesus hangs for six hours, right? And each time that he's going to have to speak, so each time that he decides to utter some sort of words that the rest of the community could hear, he literally had to push himself up 
against the nails in his feet and support himself with his arms to get enough breath to make a statement. And then what likely happened is he would sink even farther down because the torturous part of crucifixion is you didn't die because they nailed you to the stick. You died because you suffocated, because your body would give out from the lower extremities and you would sink down and then all of a sudden the only thing that's holding you up is your hands and all of a sudden you're holding yourself up like this, your shoulders pop out of the sockets, your lungs fill with fluid and you die. And Jesus hangs for six hours and experiences that. And seven times he raises himself up to utter some sort of words to the people that are gathered there at Golgotha. So our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is the king of the Jews. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I think we can all agree that it was probably incredibly painful and incredibly difficult for Jesus to speak from the cross. I mean, he has to lift himself, physically muscle himself up out of the, and onto the nails. Jesus hangs on the cross for six hours, and I'm sure each and every moment was filled with silent prayer. It was agony for this man to die in this manner. And then he raises himself up enough so that he could hear him. And all the, the, the entire time that he is being hung from the cross, he is forced to look at the crowd. Forced, because he's not very far from them. Forced to look at the people that sent him to the cross. Forced to look at the money changers that he had just previously wiped out of the temple. Forced to look at the religious leaders who were the smartest people and probably should have figured out that he was the Messiah by at least the point of the crucifixion, but chose not to embrace it. He was face to face with the Roman soldiers who are playing dice underneath him to divide his clothings and his belongings. They had just days or hours before brutally beaten him, stripped him of his dignity, forced him to carry his cross to the skull, the place that they called the skull, and gambled for his clothing as if he was already dead. And Jesus, in his great grace, instead of being righteously angry, the first thing that he does is he lifts himself up to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the inner peace The inner workings of a person that that had to happen for the first words, not to be mad at what was happening around him, because he could have been, and he would have been righteous, and we would have all agreed he could have been angry. But instead, he says, Father, forgive them. Father, 
forgive them. And here's the thing. These words aren't just for a people that are there in the crowd. Yes, they were for the money changers and the mocking populace, the religious leaders more concerned with what they were wearing and looking right than actually being right with God. But they were for people like Pontius Pilate who knew what he was doing was wrong and sent him to the cross anyway. They were for the disciples who fell asleep in the garden, for Peter who denied him three times, for Thomas who would in fact poke him in the wounds, for Judas who had to send him to the cross. Father, forgive them. And even those words were for us, even though we weren't even there. Father, forgive them. You and I were there in that moment. We don't know it, we, we have no recollection of it, but because we existed, because God exists, we were there in that moment. So it might have been Jesus looking out across the expanse of space and time to this very morning and saying, Father, forgive Mark. He knows not what he does. Father, forgive Landon. He knows not what he does. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive my church. Forgive the people that, that hate. Forgive the single mother out of wedlock. Forgive the drunken father. Forgive the ruined family. Forgive the wayward sons and daughters. They don't know what they do, but I love them anyway. I think it's significant that Jesus devotes the very first phrase of his last statements to praying for our forgiveness because I think we would all agree that we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And we can't appreciate forgiveness until we get real and we realize that there are, if we bear out our souls, if we open the closets to the light, there are in fact things that each and every one of us need forgiveness for. Jesus speaks truth into our lives even at the moment of his death and even in the moment where you and I weren't physically there because it wasn't just the people around the cross that needed forgiveness. We spent the, most of the weekend Friday through Last night at my brother's house in northern Ohio, my niece turns one today, and they had family and friends around for like a one-year-old's birthday party, which is really exciting for the one-year-old, right? <laughs> it's not particularly exciting. Like, I was sitting at a table. That was cool, right? And we got back to E-Town last night pretty late, about nine o'clock, which is later than we, we wanted to be, um, and... It was me and the kids in the truck because my wife had driven to, to Louisville with the kids and they had gone up separately because I was still working on Friday. And um, I had the, the radio on. I had like Amazon Music clipped in. And um, when they finally gave up the fight to stay awake, those of you that are parents know, when they finally gave up the fight to stay awake, there was a song that came on that I had never heard before. Uh, and the title of the song is, is Boy. And it's a country song. And I really um, was struck hard by that as I planned for our sermon today. Uh, the first verse struck me a, a lot. It says, boy, you're going to know it all. You'll, you think you're 10 feet tall and run like you're bulletproof and total a car or two. Boy, you're going to hate this town, wish you could burn it down. That fire in your eyes is 20 counties wide. 
What, like, 20-year-old doesn't feel that way? 16-year-old doesn't feel that way about where they are. But it continues, but boy, you're going to love 17, and boy, you'll do some stupid things. Yeah, check mark. And the last verse, right, the last verse was, but boy, you're going to come back home. You're going to settle down, but you won't feel the way I'm feeling now until you have a boy. He's going to know it all. He'll think he's 10 feet tall and run like he's bulletproof and total a car or two. And I think it's relevant to our discussion because throughout the entire song, what the artist is talking about is this love of a parent for their child. You could have said girl in there and it would have applied to my daughter equally as well as it applies to my son who is not afraid of anything. He really is bulletproof. We haven't been to the hospital yet, but it's coming. And then it even applies to me as I thought about my relationship with my own parents. I know, and we've talked about it before, I have an incredible capacity as a son to bring my parents great joy and to be an utterly huge disappointment to them, right? And that's how my parents wrecked me when I was a kid. They'd be like, we're disappointed in you. I was like, please just hit me, like spank me or yell at me. That would be okay. The silent treatment and the disappointing thing. And probably the most disappointed of several big ones that they had ever been was when I was in high school. And I had gotten my license. So I could, you could get your license at 15 and a half in Ohio at that time. And at 16, buddy, you could drive all by yourself. Yeah, we trusted kids really a lot more than we do now, right? And there are restrictions and all that stuff. But I had just gotten my license. I remember it was like, it was like June that this happened. And... Uh, I was driving the fastest car that I ever owned, a 1995 Buick LeSabre with the, the soft top that we had gotten from my grandparents. That's a joke. It wasn't fast at all. But somehow, I managed to be late for work and driving down Blue Rock Road where there was a stop sign, and I did what they call the California stop. Yep. I ignored the stop sign. I gently tapped the brakes, and then I went on down there, and the speed limit down through that place was 25 miles an hour, and I managed to hit a roaring 69, and I was under 18, and the one motorcycle cop, we called him Ponch, after the guy from Chips, that existed in Coleraine Township, pulled me over, because he was sitting in the driveway, and I was like, oh, fudge, right? So I was under 18, which means in the state of Ohio that you have to take a parent to court, one thing that you may or may not know about my dad is my dad worked at the Hamilton County Justice Center. He was a police officer, so he was often in that building. Oh, and he had court that day. So guess who got to go? My dad, the police officer, got to go to court with me. And so here we are. I'm sitting outside the magistrate. because You didn't see the judge. You saw the magistrate, which that was cool. Um, here I am sitting in my gray Regis Philbin shirt and metallic and my gray Regis Philbin tie because that was at the very beginning of like who wants to be a millionaire and that was what everybody thought was cool, right? The color on color monochrome mess, how we've changed, right? And my dad and all of my dad's buddies were sitting in the lobby in downtown Cincinnati and all my dad's buddies, cops, bailiffs, judges, all those people, the movers and the shakers that make the city government work are walking by and they're like, hey, Roger, what are you doing here? And my father's response was, my idiot son got pulled over. I wanted to die. 
I wanted the world to, I wanted a hole to open up and swallow up about a four foot by four foot section of this terrible bench that I had to sit on for several hours. Then I had to go back to school, right? Um, I wanted to, to be swallowed by that. I wanted to sink down. But eventually, after I paid the like 500 some odd dollar speeding ticket, because it was obnoxiously high, and I took my points on my license, and luckily I didn't lose it. My father and my mother f- managed to forgive me, right? I was young. I was an idiot. And I still speed. I still drive too fast. I'm just better at rationalizing it, right? I'm better at justifying why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm better at saying, you know, I'm late to work or I got to drop these kids off before I go back to work. And so it is with sin, right? We never really outgrow it, do we? Like we may sin a little bit as kids, right? Where we steal candy or cookies from grandma's candy jar or cookie jar. We sin a little bit more as adults, but we get better at telling people like, hey, this is okay, we can justify it. We're better at justifying our bad behavior. Here's the thing, though. Jesus from the cross is not pointing out our sins. Instead, he's praying for the forgiveness of them. And he's preparing for that forgiveness of our sins. Before you and I are even born, before we come to Christ, before we even know who God is, Jesus offers himself up as payment for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus becomes the Lamb of God who offers himself to take the sin of the world and sheds his own blood so that we can be forgiven and brought back into right relationship with him. This goes back to the Old Testament in which God gives Moses a way for people to be forgiven of their sin. Each year, the priests would be responsible for choosing two goats and one would be sacrificed and burned as a community offering. For, to God for their sins. And the second goat the, the, gets the sins of the community. The high priest places his hands on the goat and sends it out from amongst the people into the wilderness. It's a picture that sin matters enough that blood is shed for its forgiveness, but that God too can take away our sins. Jesus is both the sacrifice and the scapegoat. Jonathan Edwards says, you can contribute nothing to your own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. The gift of salvation and the gift of forgiveness is just that. It's a gift. You can't earn it and you certainly don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But in order to benefit from it, you do have to accept the gift and you must believe in your need for the gift. You have to realize that not only is Jesus praying for your forgiveness, he's actually paying for it. He's paying for your forgiveness. He's dying for it. He's giving his life so that you and I must might have abundant life in his name. I don't know about you, but I don't really struggle with the idea of knowing that I need forgiveness. Right? In my relationships, my kids point it out, my wife points it out, my boss points it out. And that sounds really dramatic, but that's what relationships do, right? We don't move forward if we don't ever say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? But I do struggle with the idea that I have been forgiven. Do you ever struggle with that? 
I don't struggle with the idea that I know that I need to be forgiven. Like, I know that I do things that are not, they are not good for my soul. But I struggle with the idea that I have been forgiven. Maybe you have a hard time thinking that God could ever possibly forgive us for the things that we've done. In fact, in some ways, shapes and forms, and I think we've talked about this story too. In fact, there are often times when I get finished and I'm like, if only the people in front of me knew what I had done. If only they knew. Same thing with God. If only God was keeping score about the things that I had done, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't be standing here. And yet, in His grace and mercy, He forgives us. Right? The sins that we've carried through all of our lives, and and sometimes we we are carrying this major guilt and shame, and and we're weighed down by it. But there, three to five feet above the crowd, Hanging from the cross is Jesus, who's being mocked and spit on and taunted. People are playing dice for his clothes. He's brutally beaten, nailed to the cross. He's gasping for air, and he pushes himself up the first time and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he forgives them. And he forgives you, and he forgives me. And in this way, he gives us the model that we are supposed to forgive other people. If Jesus can forgive the people that are literally carrying out his murder in that moment, he has to be able to forgive me. He has to be able to forgive me. If we choose to accept the free gift of salvation, we are simultaneously being changed in the heart by it. And God gives us the capacity to forgive, and he's shown us the example of forgiveness. We must, when we are wronged, be able to go to the Father and say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive my parents. Father, forgive my wife. Father, forgive my kids. Father, forgive me. Help me forgive the people around me. Who do you need to forgive this morning? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids, your co-workers, the guy that cut you off on the road? That happened to me several times last night. I'd like to forgive him and myself for my response. Is it somebody that's wronged you in the past? Is it your parents? Who do you have to forgive this morning? We're going to pray as we pray out. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to take a minute before we pray that, and I want you to think about who do I need to forgive? What bags do I have to put down? Why am I carrying this sin, this crushing weight of guilt, this crushing weight of shame, hatred? Why am I continuing to carry it? If you'll close your eyes with me. If you'll pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.